Hello, everyone. Welcome to this edition of the Big Questions with Big John. I'm your host, Big John. And today we have a very special guest, someone I've long admired as a fellow New Yorker. I might even dare say as a fellow Queens resident, uh, big ups to Queens. Uh, and, and this man, obviously, somebody who's in the national news, he's in the state news in New York. And quite frankly, anyone I've ever spoken to that's had interactions with this guest has come away saying there isn't a nicer guy on the planet. And of course, I'm talking about Mr. Larry Sharp. Larry, welcome to the show. Well, now I got to be a jerk to you to make them all wrong. <laughs> of course, you got to make me look bad. <laughs> exactly. No, that's great. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I, I'm in Astoria, believe it or not. I am. Hey, that works out for me. I'm Greek. I know. So is my wife, <laughs> born in Athens. Oh, really? Absolutely. Yes. Sent all my two right. kids to Greek school early on in their life. Oh, yeah. I, all, all I know is like, oh, he. That's like all I know. Oh, that's, that's the <laughs> best word to know. No, there we go. That's yes. It. That's, that's good for a libertarian as well. Correct. That one I know. I'm good at that. All right, Mr. Sharp, let me give the audience a quick bio for you. I'll read it off here to my right a little bit. Mr. Sharp is an American business consultant, entrepreneur, and political activist and podcaster. Mm -hmm. He's also a former United States Marine Corps veteran and a former English teacher. Mr. Sharp was the libertarian nominee for the governor of New York in the 2018 gubernatorial race, where he received just over 95,000 votes, 1.6% of the vote, which essentially was third, maybe basically fourth, a little bit behind Howie Hawkins, you know, call it neck and neck. But what was really important about that race in 2018 was that the amount of votes Mr. Sharp received guaranteed the Libertarian Party ballot access. Yes. In 2022, which for anyone involved in politics below the surface understands that's the greatest scam running. We could talk about that a little bit later. Oh, so yeah. big ups to Mr. Sharp for being able to place well enough to get the automatic ballot and the libertarian party having the automatic ballot place access rather in 2022 has again, nominated Mr. Sharp to run for governor in 2022. And personally, I'm very happy as a New Yorker to see that he's on the ballot. I'll vote for him again. Uh, he also ran on the National Libertarian Party ticket uh, for vice president in 2016, coming in second to Bill Weld. And then he ran again in 2020, but he withdrew his nomination when his running mate, uh, Dr. Uh, Gray, Jim Gray, mm -hmm. uh, uh, had been eliminated from uh, the process uh, uh, through conventional ballot, I believe, Larry. Yeah. It, was, uh, uh, it was a gray sharp ticket. And when Gray, uh, when gray lost, I dropped out. There you go. Which is, I'd also like to talk to you about about that process as sure. well because mm -hmm. I, I, I it was very interesting. So uh, everyone, welcome, Mr. Mr. Larry Sharp again. And Larry, uh, let's start out. Uh, I always like to talk to my guests who are libertarians mm -hmm. uh, from two angles, really. Uh oh. One is the philosophical perspective. Sure. One is the political angle. Sure. So let's start out with the philosophical perspective, because that's where I kind of place myself. I'm less a political libertarian and more of a philosophical libertarian. Sure. So first off, how did you arrive at libertarianism in New York? Of course, if you grew up in New York or on the East Coast of the U.S., essentially, odds are you were inundated by leftism. Liberalism. Absolutely. Yeah. My, my mother was a staunch Democrat. Absolutely. 100 yeah. percent. My father was wasn't very political, but I think as a as a kid, I assumed I leaned left. I mean, I, don't, I really didn't pay much attention to politics as a kid. Um, but when I joined, so I assume I'm, I was more left because my mom was a staunch Democrat. Right. My my mom was the idea that you know you're bad because you're Republican. That's the oh, wow. reason why you're bad. That was it. She was hardcore Democrat. 
Um, I wasn't hardcore or anything. I didn't really care, to tell you the truth. As I joined, when I joined the Marine Corps at 17, though, most of my leadership was conservative. Mm. So I think I leaned more conservative. And Ronald Reagan was my first commander in chief. So I think I kind of leaned more right as a as a young adult, right? Mm -hmm. As a teen, probably left. As a young adult, probably more right is my assumption. But I didn't like any of them. So I was like, Ross Perot will save us in the <laughs> 90s, right? He's right. the guy, but I couldn't have told you any of his policies. Um, right. And I think then I was Ralph Nader. He's the guy who will save us, right? The, the guy who wasn't the other two. That I always knew. Right. So I was kind of disenchanted heavily after Obama. I, I thought he might do something and he didn't do anything either. So I thought, all right, so this is all disappointing. Why bother? I don't care. I actually wasn't going to vote anymore. Mm. And then I heard Gary Johnson speak in 2012. And at that point, I was already open to hear it because I'd already gone through the Marine Corps, my teaching career, my first business had already failed. I had already begun my second business and I was already teaching what I call post-industrial leadership at the collegiate level. I was teaching in some parts in Yale and Columbia and doing business mm. um, teaching in different organizations, right. training, coaching, that kind of thing. And I was talking about post-industrial leadership. And post-industrial leadership is the idea of, I don't need you to do exactly what I say. That's industrial leadership. When there's a factory, do right. the thing and that's it. You know, make the widget and that's all. Exactly. Post-industrial leadership is much more, I need you on board. I need you to understand where we're going. And now as everything changes, take charge and make sure stuff gets done. Right. More entrepreneurial. Correct. More entrepreneurial, right? And the most successful people in this world are those who are more like that. Mm. That's post-industrial leadership. And the best leaders are those who don't say, John, do it exactly this way. They don't do that. They go, John, we're trying to get here. Right. How do you think we can get here? And you go, you know what, boss, let me try this, let me try that. And before you know it, we get there. Right. So I've been teaching that for a while. And that's very much volunteerism. That's very much libertarianism. It's the idea of join because you want to join. Be a part of my team because you want to be part of my team. Have the same goal and move forward. The idea of diversity of thought with mm -hmm. unity of purpose. Right? Okay. That's the goal that we all want to have. And when Gary Johnson started talking in 2012 about that, he was a business guy. I could hear him. Right? That was my connection. Right. And he's libertarian. So from 2012, I became a libertarian. I supported him in 2012, our gubernatorial candidate here in New York in 2014. And then in 2016, I wanted to be his running mate. I lost to Bill Weld, as you mentioned. And then in 2018, I was thinking about leaving New York. Hmm. If you, a lot of people are leaving New York. You know it. It's our biggest right. issue is New York State's people leaving. And I was thinking of leaving too. And for what I do, I need a big city, right? To, to do what I do for consulting. So that's why I live in New York City. But I was thinking, maybe I'll go to Charlotte, North Carolina. That was my thought process. It's a big city, a lot of big companies there. Right. I could make some money. I could sell my shoebox of a home in Astoria, Queens. You know what I'm talking about. I so know I, what you're talking about. Yes, yeah, so I can sell that shoebox. And then I can build, I can buy a mansion in North Carolina. Right. right. I went down there and I got mad. And I said, why is my state so terrible? Why is it so crappy? Why is my beautiful state with everything awesome in it that it has why is the government so oppressive that literally families break up? Right. My mom died in South Carolina because she couldn't stay and, and retire here. It was too much for her. Mm. And, it, you know, my kids lost their grandma. I'm not happy about that. So I said, I'm going to go back. I'm going to win the governorship. I'm going to fix New York. That did not go as planned, John. <laughs> did not go as planned. However, I got my 100,000 votes. I was able to achieve um, party status for, for the party. And then I said, you know what? I'm now going to go locally, which I always believe in localism. 
Okay. What's going to save our state and even our nation is more localism and less centralized control. That is because if we keep trying to impose our will upon the other, we're going to keep fighting. But right. if we let us kind of do, you know, let Brooklyn be Brooklyn, let, you know, Wyoming County be Wyoming County, let Rochester be Rochester, let Watertown be Watertown. Right. We do some of that. Let Suffolk County be Suffolk County. You know, we will, we'll be a whole lot better if we can do that. So yeah. I then crossed the state and I got 107 libertarians elected in 2019. I didn't know it was that many. Correct. We are from zero to 107. Wow. Then in 2020, they took away all my ballot access with the soap of pen. All gone. And I said, now I'm angry. I'm running again. So now I'm running again because I'm because they the system is so broken to your point. Right. No one can get on the ballot. In fact, this is the first year in 76 years that there will not be an independent governor candidate on the ballot. Crazy. Yes, it's insane. Crazy. Now, Larry, what's interesting about what you just said, and there was a lot in what you just said. I'm, I'm brimming Sorry. with questions. No, no, no. That's great. I, and I love it. So from what I understand, from what you just said, you came to libertarianism relatively late in life. I did. Um, so yours was the result of a journey born out of frustration, it sounds like. Like, hey. Yes. I'm and business. Not, and business and reality saying like, hey, there's nobody here who represents what I see happening in the best interests of the people of the country. Yep. Um, and I always love hearing how people arrive at libertarianism because um, my my journey started out being a conservative in New York. Mm. Um, you don't have a party here anymore. I don't have a party here. <laughs> yes. And um, but but the people I admire were guys like uh, Buckley at the time. Sure. Uh, Goldwater at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, then when Reagan came along, obviously guys like that, uh, thought leaders, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, but I became disenfranchised with the conser conservatives because at the end of the day, they still want to tell you what to do. Yes. They still want to run your Absolutely. life for you. So to me, I, I, I took the next step eventually in my head by saying, you know what? It really doesn't matter if I agree with what they want me to do. The fact that they want me to do it and then force others that aren't of the same mindset to do it was a became abhorrent to me. Yes. Uh, and the biggest example was the free speech issue. Like now mm. it's the opposite, oh right? Oh my God, yes. Right now the liberals are the ones who, you know- That's right, I, it used to be conservative, that's it's right. Flipped, it's flipped, right? And yes. um, I mean, I don't know about you, Larry, but on college campuses now, when they take these polls and you see something like 50, 60% of college students think the first amendment when it comes to free speech should be repealed that there should be uh protections against offensive speech and yep. things of that nature i don't know it scares the heck out of me i i, I really agree. don't understand how as americans which i believe the first amendment separates us from every other nation in the world 100%. yeah that's why it's the, the thing i bring up the first amendment is the first because without it you don't have a country exactly that's why it's the first if you don't have right. freedom of speech People don't realize it's not just freedom of speech. It's also freedom of religion, mm -hmm. freedom of association, yep. freedom of the press, yep. and the ability to petition your government mm -hmm. when you have a problem. Yes. If you do, if there's no First Amendment, there's no country. So you've got to have that or we're just another country in Europe, right? What, what's the difference? You're right, Larry. And it's just stunning to me how many people, for the sake of the temporary comfort, Mm -hmm. of not being offended by yes. someone that yes. in any circumstance they would never hang out with, but they're offended yes. remotely. They're willing to throw that right out the window. And to yeah. me, it is, it is just 
it's, it's, it's a problem in our culture to where we have been told that you gain your self-esteem by being affirmed, mm. but you don't gain your self-esteem by being affirmed. That is a mistake that happened in the eighties and has been devastating us for literally four decades now. You don't gain self-esteem because I go, John, you're an awesome guy. You're an awesome guy. That's not how you gain self-esteem. Right. That's how you gain entitlement mindset. But if how you gain self-esteem is by failing and getting back up and or by succeeding. Yes. As you achieve things, you gain self-esteem. I've achieved something, whatever right. that thing is. It doesn't have to be fame or money. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. It's whatever you value, right? right. If I value, maybe I value having a relationship. And I have one. I have self-esteem. I'm a good husband. I'm a good brother. Right. I'm a good father. I'm a good, right. in, whatever I care about, right? If I achieve something, I gain self-esteem. Or second, I fail, but I get back up. Yes. We so I was bad. I, my business collapsed and I started it again, yes. right? That's how you gain self-esteem. Not because someone goes, you're super cool. And self-reliance, Larry, which yes. I think is something that's missing nowadays is that self-reliance, um, to, to constantly look for someone else to be accountable for you, to yeah. me, is also a societal failing now. Yes. I don't really know where this came from. Yeah. Uh, how it originated. I, and I, I, I can tell you. Oh, go ahead, please. 100%. It's confusing a victim with a hero. Mm. Right? That's the issue. And one of the biggest ones that happened that everyone will remember was 9-11. Mm. I mean yes. by that. A lot of people died at 9-11, obviously, right? But there are two types. The victims who were there. And that's terrible. If you lost on 9-11, that's horrible. I'm very blessed. The only person I lost was an acquaintance that I hadn't seen. And while it bothered me, I was hurt nowhere near to the people who had lost loved ones that were close to them. I had a far acquaintance, and that's the only person I lost. I'm very lucky in that regard. But there's a second piece, though. The firefighters and first responders who rushed in. Those are heroes. Hmm. both are bad. Both is terrible that they shouldn't have died, but we should separate them. The victims, terrible. They should not have been attacked. They didn't do anything wrong right. and horrible for the families. And those people who ran the building, I mean, th that is bravery that we should all aspire to. Correct. Right? So Correct. they're two separate things, but we've mixed them together and they're all heroes. They're hmm. not all heroes. They're victims yeah. and heroes. Well, and, hero we do, and that started in the 80s. But that is where you can see it happened in the mainstream media. And now it's always so if you pick on somebody or say something wrong, that person's now a hero. Mm. Why are they a hero? Well, because you picked on them. But did they deserve it? In other words, is that person a jerk? Mm. And they start trouble. And now I'm defending myself. Is that and maybe not? But right, right. That's not even thought. Right. That's not even thought. It's you're saying something bad, whether that person deserved or not is irrelevant. Mm. And that person's not a victim. That person's a hero now. So you're a bad guy for destroying the hero. That's, an That's where it comes from. That's an interesting proposition. I, I, to be honest with you, I've never really heard it formulated like that. Yep. Um, um, I, I, I do agree with you, especially around the 9-11, um, either fortunately or unfortunately, I worked across the street from mm. where the uh, World Trade Center, I was in the, the Bankers Trust building. Oh my was, God, you it, probably knew people who passed. Uh, I, uh, fortunately, not too many. Uh, okay. but, um, yeah. So you're familiar with the area. It was, yes. I, I, my building was adjacent to the firehouse that first responded, which was literally across the street. Right. Um, and I was there for the 93 attacks. You were there for both. I was there for both. Wow. 
Wow. I, I said I must be a cat in a former life. I've had seven lives. I was wow. I was in the middle of an IRA bombing my one time. Okay, whatever city you're in, I don't want to be in. <laughs> exactly. Stay away from me. <laughs> I'm staying away from you. Oh Perimeter. But um, yes, exactly. But I agree with you because if you were there that day, and uh, to all those who think 9-11 was, didn't happen, you know, you have all these ridiculous deniers and everything. There's a difference between people, like you said, who were unjustly murdered. Yep. But to see the 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 bravery, yes, of those of those firemen, especially the firemen who yep. were on the scene within seconds, who literally had to run away from a collapsing building, and when you see this, it's burned in your memory. You see them running away from the building, so so they wouldn't be crushed by it. And then before the the dust and the and the asbestos and all that crap settled, they all turned around and went right back in. Yes, it's the, the it is bravery that we should all aspire to. Yes, and being Absolutely. a former being a former Marine, there's duty, and then there's above the call of duty, Absolutely. which I'm sure you're familiar with. Hundred percent. And yes. that was above the call of duty. Hundred percent. So I and all I'm saying you. is we should separate those two. That's yes, all. agreed. Agreed. Right. Agreed. Separate those two. Yeah. You grieve the dead. Absolutely. And you, and you honor the heroes. Yeah. I, but I the agree problem is honor. now you see the next piece, which is now people. They can be heroes just by being victims. That is astounding to me. So now I can just go, oh, wait a minute. Let me try to become a victim because then I become a hero. Yeah. So, yeah. John, you you said Marine, and I wish you had said U.S. Marine. Oh, right. I'm offended. You're offended. I'm now, I'm now a hero now because I'm a victim. And <laughs> this is the issue, right? Confusing victims. With heroes. And the problem is if you attack the victim, then you're victim blaming. Right? Mar so now you're, you're now even worse Right. For, for asking. And the question I would ask most people, and look, I get attacked all the time. Sure. But what I'm going to ask is, did what I say actually hurt you? Mm. I actually say that. I'll ask some of them. You said this thing, great. And I'll ask them, did, did, did the thing I said, did it actually hurt you? And they go, well, no, but people, so it didn't actually hurt you. No. Great. Why are you angry? Mm. Literally, if I hurt you and you say yes, those words hurt me that I am sorry. I wasn't trying, unless I was trying to hurt you, which I said, oh, good, I'm glad I hurt you. But if I'm not trying to hurt you, I would say sorry, right? I didn't I didn't mean to hurt you if well, I did. Well, context and language has been completely lost in my Totally opinion. gone. Absolutely. And, um, yes. You know, yes. some of my favorite stand-up comedians will always make that point. Why yes. are you taking something I say in a nightclub out of context as if I were a lawmaker? Yes. Removing the context of it being a joke yep. and the fact that people were there. So- I agree with you 100%. And okay. the other issue now you find is when you have that world, yes. people think it's making a fairer world. Oh, it's no. actually not. No. Because now only the elites can survive the mob. Right? So Joe Rogan says something bad. And so what? Dave Chappelle says something bad. So what? Exactly. It's Joe Rogan and Dave Chappelle. You can't yeah. cancel them. You could try, but you're wasting it. You just make them stronger. You can't mess with them. But now I, I, I'm Joe Schmo, new guy, trying to get on the on the on the map, right. and I see something wrong. My career is over. So you only crush the little guy. Yeah, but to be honest with you, Larry, I struggle with this because I'm a free speech absolutist. Hmm. I, I mean, you cannot get me. You could take the person I most loathe in this planet. I won't tell you who it is or who they may be, but whoever they are, you could not get me to tell to 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 agree to having them banned. Right. Whether it's on Twitter you. or Facebook yep. or anything. Yep. Have them out there. Yep. I want to hear them. Yep. Neo Nazis, they get to the talk. Uh Black Lives yep. Matter, they get to the talk. 
I literally say, if yeah. you're a Nazi, please wear the armband. Yes, please. I like, want to know, know exactly what you are. Please <laughs> wear the armband. Yeah, if exactly. you're a clan member, wear the hood. Yes. Please. I want to know where you are. Please With pride. That. With 100%. pride. Because I want to know who you are. Correct. And, and I want to be able to mock you. Mm -hmm. And if my idea of mocking you is superior to your idea of, say, white nationalism, then... I don't have to force you to do anything. That's correct. People will make that decision. Yes. And, but do you think that comes from the fear? So right now, Larry, I'm struggling because do I want government in any way to regulate Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, any of that stuff? No. I think we do. I think we do. You do? Okay. One Let's talk about One specific thing. What's that? If there's going to be an obvious victim, hmm. what do I mean by that? If I threaten your life, th the cops should be called. But that's right. a, is, is that a free speech issue, Larry, or is that just a legal issue of threatening or well, the same, well, it, the I mean, same thing, it, I, whatever you feel, I, I would follow that rule. However, okay, you fair define that my rule is if I go, I hate that John guy. Oh, well, I hate that John guy. Who cares? Right. But if I say I'm coming to your house and I'm going to not take yes. you out, you need. Yes, please. Yes. I, cops I, on me. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm with you a hundred percent on that. Yes. In that. The state, as a good libertarian, should only exist to protect our rights, neither 100%. grant them or give them or anything like that. So I Absolutely. agree with you on that sense. Yes, Th but that is a censorship or the overreach or the reach that right. I think government should be in. If I am saying something that's going to hurt somebody, or I'm even saying I don't want to get John too far away, but Louis, you go get him. <laughs> right, still the same thing. Right, exactly, exactly. Same thing. So yeah. that's what that's my line. I, my I, line I, is if that's happening, then step in government, step in Twitter. Yes. Whatever. Okay. Yes. But but to me, that's 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 something that should happen irrespective of the platform or the tool. Mm. Okay. Could, it could be a newspaper, a megaphone, whisper, you know, the Vinny, the chin giganti uh, whispering <laughs> yes. in my ear, whatever, right? Um, but so we're agreed on that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I I'm I, I struggle because is the functional equivalent of a Twitter or YouTube or a Facebook such that they have monopoly power. Now, yeah. all this unravels when you start to like, why do they have monopoly power? Well, because there's barriers to entry. Who sets up the barriers to entry? Well, that's the government. And, you know, so it all unravels uh, when you look at it from a liberty perspective, yep. right? Uh, I love the rumbles of the world. I love, hey, look, Truth Social. I couldn't care less about Donald Trump. I'm very honest about that. But guess what? He, anybody who's complaining, he did what any free marketeer any true libertarian would tell you he should have done, whether it was his own pocket money, mm -hmm. whether he got investors, he built a platform because other people banned him from their private platforms. A hundred percent behind that. Even if I don't agree with anything that comes out Let of his mouth, Let me cover I a couple of that. pieces on that if I could. Yeah, the sure. The first one is um, my problem with Twitter banning or Facebook banning or YouTube banning, I would do banning and then shadow banning. So Fair I do enough. both of them. Yeah. Banning is that I believe most of that was was pushed by the government. Mm. That's my worry. Mm. If YouTube is saying, or Facebook is saying, I don't want you to put this stuff on my platform because I want to have a family-friendly platform, that's the free market. I'm okay with that, right? Agreed. If that was their view. Agreed. But that wasn't their view. Their view was the government says this is misinformation, so take it off. That to me is unethical, wrong, should not be done. That's, but again, 
Facebook can say, I want a family-friendly thing. You can't right. use the F word or something. We're, in, al we're in alignment. But yeah. there's a second piece, though, when it comes to this. The banning is unfair for two reasons. One, because there is no real appeal unless you're a heavy hitter, mm. right? Yes. And second, they don't tell you what's wrong, so you can't repair. So that, in my view, we attacked us in the wrong place. We should attack this not from First Amendment, but from literal, literally, I'm serious, unethical business practices. Mm. That's the attack. Right. If someone wants to sue Twitter or sue Facebook or sue YouTube, they'll win that. Say, wait a minute. If this was any other place, if I put time, money, energy into, into another place and you just go, you're out, no judge would be okay with that. No, yep, I guess you're out. Pack your stuff. They're going to sell your stuff off. That would never happen. You're right. You're right. Never. They would say, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. You had an agreement for five years for this guy to have, have this digital space. You can't just throw him out of the digital space. If it was a physical place, you wouldn't let him do it. A retail store, you wouldn't let him do it. There's no way a judge goes, yeah, um, I don't like that your storefront has green on it. You got to get out of the storefront now. That would never happen in a retail physical space. But digital space is totally fine. Mm. No, you have to give the person the reason why. Hey, I got mad at you, John. I I'm renting out space. Because you had 14 dogs out front barking. And that's and I can't have you have 14 dogs out front barking. Now, that's fair for me to say that. But then you right. get to go, thank you, boss. I got you. I will not put 14 dogs outside anymore. Right. Right. And that's what everybody else would do. But just imagine if I instead said, yeah, John, I'm mad. Uh, pack your stuff. You're out of here tomorrow. No, nobody would do that. No judge would accept that. And no, not one court in this entire country. But on Facebook, it's fine. Yeah. So you know, again, that's the place you attack. You attack it on unethical business model. And that's what it is. Fair enough. And and again, I'm 100% behind. I don't care if it was my business, anybody would be on it. Mm -hmm. Now, could I maybe add some functionality on a technical level that says if I don't want to hear white nationalism, if I don't right. want to see nudity, if I don't want to do right. this, that I can just check off a couple of controls and I and me and my kids never see that. Right. That's another solution to me. I mean, sure. there's, there's certainly the technology. And 100%. then it's easier to ban people, right? In the sense that if you if you're a, a publisher that somehow figures out some crafty way to get around these filters and still say deliver nudity to uh, underage children easy they violated the law they violated yes. the terms of service kick them off but I got the it. point is you would be able to tell the person exactly hey you did this right so now you're gone absolutely not just your band absolutely the, the, the other part i gotta go back to the big yeah. guys all the time sure if you're on youtube and you have say 10 million subscribers like they do that many you're gonna have a rep mm. youtube's gonna have a rep so if you get banned or something happens, you can call your rep and say, hey, right. what happened? So the big guy gets around it. I'm the little guy. Again, I get crushed. Right. Censorship always crushes the little guy. It never crushes the big guy. Right. In and, every and, single case. And honestly, it's not even individual content providers. If you work for an ad agency, if you work for a PR yes. firm. Google depends on you more than those content, uh, believe me, because yep. as an ad agency, how many hundreds of millions of dollars do you allocate to platforms like Twitter, 100%. Facebook, and Google? So I think that's another part that, yep. I, and I'm glad you were talking because I hadn't thought of it until you. I just heard you. But that's another piece of this that really isn't as uh, publicized. 100%. That, that like your, your marketing agencies, right? They mm -hmm. also are tastemakers. 
So if they've decided that there's toxic masculinity and it should not be talked about, yep. Uh, say Andrew Tate. Yep. I think I think Andrew Tate's an idiot. Quite honestly, <laughs> I'm. You're not gonna have me fight you on that one, <laughs> right? But he should have never been kicked off. Hundred percent, I agree. All all that's been accomplished is now you've made him a martyr. Yeah, it's that old. Th- I, I I can't believe how people don't learn from history, Larry. Never. Like, what happens when you try to silence someone who's popular? <laughs> it doesn't work. Well, here's the worst part. What nobody even bothers saying is, why did millions of young boys follow a jerk like Andrew Tate? Mm. That's the more important piece. Yeah, that's something There's Jordan clearly, Peterson will talk about. Yeah. Yes, Jordan. Yeah. Pe- why? Why do so many young men look at Jordan Peterson as, their, as a father figure? Right. That's sad. Is it? That's the problem. Yeah. I'm, not that I'm anti Jordan Peterson. I'm just no. saying millions of young boys should not have that much of a. There shouldn't be a market for him. Mm. But there is. There should be a market for Andrew Tate. But there is, and we all know if you make a if there's a market for something and you shut that market down, what happens? Black market. Right. Every single time. So now the kids aren't watching Andrew Tate. They're watching somebody worse. Mm. They're watching somebody worse. I agree with you. In the black market right now because that need has not been filled. Yep. So we keep thinking, I'll just hammer it. I'll just hammer it. That need is not filled. That need isn't filled. Now they're going, as bad as Andrew Tate was, now those kids are going to hang out with gangbangers. Because mm. that's, a, that's, a, that's a masculine guy who's going to tell them what to do. And look, you know, you were a young man. Mm. I like I was to a, think so. I was a young man. Yeah. And you know, when you're a teenage boy, one of the things that matters to you more than anything is some older male who you respect telling you, well done. Mm. That matters a lot to young men, young boys. I would say boys, that men too, but mm-hmm. definitely if you're 14, 15, 16 years old, you've been right. a teenager, you know, yeah. it's important for someone who you respect, an older male to say, good job. Yes. Well done. That yes, matters yes. to you. Mm. Well, if Tate's going to tell you that, you're going to Tate. If some gangbanger on the street tells you that, you're going to him. And, and honestly, the Marine Corps, the U.S. Marine Corps tells you that. 100%. That's why that, I joined. Right? Yeah. I didn't know. I, let me tell you a quick story how I joined. Yeah. You'll love this. This is exactly sure. what I'm talking about. I wasn't going to join the Marine Corps. I was going to join the Army because my father mm. was in the Army. Okay. So I was going to join the Army. But I went to a place where all four of the um, recruiters were there together, the same little place, right? So I passed by the Navy, passed by the Air Force. I go into the Army recruiter. And he's like, hey, how you doing? He's a, he's a guy. He's got a, um, a sweater on. And he's talking about how to, are you, you're going to be a general in three weeks. You're going to be, you know, <laughs> pretty, pretty women going to be all over you. Right? He's telling me the whole, I'm gonna get, oh, my God, you're going to get a Ph.D. in a year. It's going to be awesome. And we're going to give you money for college. I'm like, this is great. Oh, my God. And I've got all of the stuff. I have the book covers. I say go Army on it because I'm still in high school at the time. I'm 17. Right. I'm still in high school. Right. So I got, I'm like, oh, it's going to be great. So I walk outside and tell my mom. It's going to happen. Right. So I go, I, I go outside. And the Marine Corps recruiter is waiting for me right there. Arms folded, short sleeve shirt like this. Oh my goodness. He says, hey, son. I said, yeah. Did you got a minute? I said, sure. I'm thinking, this guy can't get me. Right. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking, right? Right. So he sits me down. He goes, that Army guy, he promised you a lot, didn't he? I said, yeah, I'm going to be a general in six weeks. I'm going to have women throwing themselves at me. It's going to be amazing. Right, He's like, right. you know what we call that? I said, what? He said, we call that the solar plan. Everything under the sun. Mm. He goes, you know what I'm what I'm gonna offer you? I said, what? He said, four hard years. Are you ready? I said, yes. And I signed up right there. <laughs> That's how gentlemen go. Sign it right there. That's fantastic. But, and but I it, didn't realize that yeah. at that point, I was just searching. My father died when I was young. Mm. So I didn't have a positive role model in my life. I was lost. So, and I didn't realize I did not realize then how lost I was. Like looking back, 
with hindsight, right. I can see how lost I was. Then I didn't know how lost I was. Yeah. So when he said that, I was just like, yes, uh, uh, positive male role models who will demand things of me, who will make me be a man. Yes. Can I have that, please? I had no idea how hungry I was for that until he said that. And I was mm. like, yes. And I loved the Marine Corps. I was all about it because I was looking to your point for positive male role models. And if I didn't get him there, I would have got him someplace that wouldn't have been good. You know, that's so true. And I think that's something that's overlooked. And you're right. I, I'm a big fan of Dr. Peterson's and for a lot of different reasons. But I think, um, and people who say he's alt-right or, or whatever, you know, I think they just haven't listened to him. They're, they're, no, let they're, let me be clear on him real fast. Yeah. And this is a common problem. The modern day left is similar to what the 70s right was. Mm. The 70s right was very exclusionary. Yes. If you weren't evangelical in the late 70s, you were not one of us. That's how they thought. The left now is much the same way. If you're not as woke as we are, you're not one of us. Right. They're very much that way now. So if you make a mistake, you will get ostracized. You will get attacked. And if you don't have a strong enough personality or background, you will bend to the mob and just go, okay, okay, I'm sorry. But if you don't, you'll you'll say, no, I'm not going to bend. And they will push you more. And right now, if you go back to the say the 80s, the left had their arms open. Mm. Come to us. Right. Come to us. Come on. And the right was like, no, you got to be one of us. Now it's the opposite. The left's like, no, you must be. And the right's like, come to us. We'll take you. Let's go. So when, that's how many of these people go to the right. Yeah. It's crazy because um, my niece uh, just recently graduated college here in New York. But growing up, I kept talking to her about my libertarian beliefs, you know, and it's interesting how children, at, well, she's a grown woman now, but at the time, as a young girl or a young lady, she would say like, Uncle John, why is it that people say that you're crazy? I go, who yes. says I'm crazy? She goes, well, my economics teacher said that because I guess she stepped up and said, my Uncle John says taxation mm -hmm. is theft and people work better when they work for themselves and all that, you know, and she said, you know, he said that you were selfish and you, you don't care about anybody and anything like that. She goes, but you're a nice guy. I like you, you know. And as she grew up, not that I would call her a libertarian necessarily, but in at Fordham, for example, she's she led the libertarians there. Like and, um, nice. you know, but it's it's always striking to me that we cannot put ideas out there Right. Without those in in power or in control right. of the zeitgeist can't immediately turn on it. Now, yes. I'm not here to tell you every idea is a good idea. Sure. I'm not here to tell you that you should be accepting of every idea. Absolutely. What I'm saying is you should be tolerant of ideas. Yes. And that's the difference. I mean, the old 100%. joke is I tolerate a screaming baby on a plane. I don't accept, you know, I don't <laughs> right, want right. it. I don't accept right. it, right? Right. But um so let me ask you this. Do you think it's a failure of the American educational system on two fronts? One, since it's publicly funded and publicly directed, that in itself is a problem. So you're starting out with a bad batch to begin with. And then once you're in the system, only the orthodoxy of accepted facts, not see in conjunction with this is the loss of critical thinking that to your point, learn how to make the widget. Learn how to work that factory line. So so let me touch this if I could. Do you know what was the sole, the biggest reason for the design 
of the modern day school room. The, uh, gen the janitorial service. I did not know that. Okay. Yes. They want to make sure they can clean them easily. Okay. That was the number one thing. <laughs> clean them easily. That's why they're all in line. That's why they're easy to get out. But cleaning is yeah. the number one reason why they built most of the, uh, the more reason they worry about these things. Why does that matter? Because as I said earlier, our government is still in industrialization, industrialization mode. Mm. If our culture was, you work until you're, you, know, you go to school until you're maybe 14, 15, 16, maybe, maybe 18, but whatever, then you go off to a factory, right? You, you learn to sit in a room at your workstation, listen to the boss, do the thing, and then go off into a factory and sit at your workstation, listen to your boss, and do your thing until you're 65. Here's your goal watch. Go watch football. Right. If that's what you're going to do, that's a perfect system for that. That's awesome. Do that. Note the wealthy didn't do that. The wealthy all went to private schools. Mm. Because back then, the wealthy were the ones running things. So the wealthy went to private schools, and all the good entrepreneurs dropped out of school, like Abraham Lincoln. And people like, they all dropped out of school, right? Because right. they knew that that was for people who were the factories. Mm. So we still have that same system. That's why it doesn't work. In fact, I speak at colleges often. And in one college I spoke to, I think it was, was it Nazareth? Maybe it was Nazareth College. Um, I was in there with a bunch of kids and their parents. And I said, hey, hey, kids, do your favor. I know your parents in the room, but raise your hand if during all of high school and even college, you share your homework and share your test scores and everything. You share everything. Mm. I said, it's okay, your parents. And it, all the hands went up. Parents said, oh. Oh, the shock. You share? That's cheating. I said, no, that's smart. That's how the world works. Nobody cares about you and your individual thing. Everything is group-based. What's the right. outcome? Sharing. We all go online. We all get stuff on YouTube. We all go back and forth. Finding out and sharing and making things happen is the modern workforce. They're ahead of you. They're ahead of your teachers. It's And that's the reality. It's Our crazy. system is broken. It's an old system. It's completely rebooted. But you, I don't know if you know my plan. My plan is actually to end K-12 and go K-10. That's that's how I wanted to, I wanted to segue into that because yeah. I know that was a major part of your platform. It probably mm -hmm. still is, right? It is. Um, to me, now I I can't I, I I've always been a, a person who believes in education, who believes yep. in learning. I should say learning more than education. That's better. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I can't complain. I I uh, my parents believed in it. You know, uh, you said you're married. Your wife is Greek there's a word in Greek that says philotimo, which means it loosely translates into love of honor. Mm. And it's something that every Greek child has been raised with. Like, I mean, I, it, it's, it's as, it's as Greek as the constitution is to American kids. Mm, sure. So part of that philotimo is that you as a Greek carry this tradition of learning. Yes. Yeah, my, so every, my, my wife literally has like busts of Socrates. And yes, abs yes, absolutely. Yes. 100%. She so, plays the game. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So what yes. happened was as a child, I remember my father was an auto mechanic. Mm -hmm. Was not, I, to call us middle class would have been generous. Her father was a carpenter. There you go. Yes. And in the Bronx, whatever money he had, he may not eat, but he was putting money aside so my sister and I could go to a parochial private school. Yep. Because the first day of public school, when he sent me to the local public school that, you know, you get your notice, your kid should report here. I walked in within three minutes of my entering the school, two kids had grabbed me, put a knife to my throat. This is kindergarten. And I came home, uh, you know, shaken, obviously. I get it. I went to school in, uh, in the South Bronx. There you go. By so, Yankee Stadium. 
okay, I, I went to Bronx Science, so yep. probably there too. But my, my father was so aghast. He said he's never setting foot in a public school again, and I don't care if we have to starve to do it. Same thing for my sister. So it was that love of learning. Now in a parochial school, it's different, right? right. You, you're dealing with their system. Correct. I was lucky. I was speaking ancient Greek, Latin, doing high school level math by the time I was in the sixth grade. Not to say that I'm smart, but that's what was expected of me. Yes. And that's what was expected of those kids. You were a young man who someone said, do well. And you went, okay, I will do well. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes. And then through high school, the same thing. I mentioned Bronx Science, which is a public school but not a public it's, school. It's an exception. It's an exception. It really is an exception. You're like correct. Stuyvesant in Brooklyn correct. Tech. Because kids have to pass an entrance exam to get in. Right. So it's almost like taking your SATs in the eighth grade. Right. So anyway, so my point was that kids who have been through that track, who now look at today's education, say, where is the critical thinking? Where, where are the kids who raise their hands and say, wait, that doesn't make sense to me. Can you, can you explain why it is that um, Richard Nixon was evil against JFK in 1960. Right. Explain it. We all know yes. he got impeached 20 years later, but in 1960, why was he, you're telling me he was evil. Why is that the case? In 1972, when did, uh, 72, McGovern against Nixon. Mm -hmm. I remember sitting in my class where the teacher came out and said, I want everyone to go home and tell their parents to vote for McGovern. Because Nixon's a criminal. Wow. And, wow. And he goes, let's see how many people in this class can remember what I said. So at the end of the class, I, I was in the second or third grade. He had all of us cast a ballot. I remember wow. being the only guy who cast one for Nixon. <laughs> and, and the teacher said to me, he says, Georgopoulos, why is it that you always have to contradict me? <clears throat> I said, because you haven't explained to me why Nixon is bad. You just told me he's bad. Right. I could tell you you're bad. What right. if I went to him and said you're bad? Right. And I remember being sent home with a note, an admonition saying, John should learn to just accept what the teacher tells him. And my father, to his credit, pulled me aside and said, don't you ever accept what a teacher tells you. I remember my daughter got in trouble. She was probably in third grade. And she was like, you know, she doesn't really want to please the teachers. <laughs> and I was like, okay, what's the, what's the bad part now? Right, exactly. Like, now tell me the bad part. Exactly. <laughs> and she was, he was like, Okay, like that's the bad part. Like, oh, that's the bad part. Oh, we're good. But Larry has a policy. <laughs> yes. But as yes. a policy now, yes, because you mentioned K through ten, hundred percent. How do we get that ethos back? There, to, there to, are. How yep. do we get it? How do we um, get it back? Because you, know, it, I'm assuming. Listen, day one, you're not abolishing. If you're governor, day one, given all the political machinations going around, you're not getting rid of public education. No, why? No, none of my. Very clear. Never. Have I had any policy that goes, abolish stuff? People need services. Mm. And right now we have a monopoly of government. All of my policies do one thing very well, which is break the monopoly of government. Mm. You keep government for your, you know, that, that, that right there is your is your safety net. Okay. Right? There's always government there's safety net, right? That's the catastrophic, it's there. You got something. But I always allow something else to come out. I allow community to help. I mm. support community and local. I support competition against the government. This way the government either gets better or the community supports people enough where no one goes to government anymore. Either one of those work. So I want people to be serviced. People fall down. People make mistakes. People get in trouble. People need education, right? So of course I want them serviced. And right now, government is the monopoly. Remember, government's always two things. It's a monopoly and it's a jobs program. Mm. So you can't just get rid of it. 
If you just get rid of it, there's nothing there. So I'm begging for a violent black market if I get rid of government. And I don't want a violent black market because violent black markets always punish two types of people the worst, right. the poor and women. So I don't want to do that. So instead, keep government existing and then provide a secondary option. Hmm. You don't like that option? Go back to government. It's fine. It's there for you. But I think, but I believe, to your point earlier, I believe my ideas are better and right. So if I believe that, then I should be okay to compete with the government. And I am. So and then you, hopefully you'll go. So let me so give you a couple of answers. I was going to say, in education, what would that be? Like charter schools? No, 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 no. There are two things I want to do. Okay. The, I, I added one more piece. It used to be uh, K through 10 only. Now I've changed something else because our budget is so broken. The New York State budget has gone up to $220 billion and we're losing people. The tax burden is just too high. It's um, it, We can't keep it. And we've lost about $23 billion in net worth for people who've, who've left the state and aren't coming back. So we're losing a lot of our, our heavy hitter tax base. And we, uh, we, we are increasing. And by the way, our, I'm sorry to interrupt you. And our governor the other day, basically, not basically, directly said good riddance to those people. Yeah. Well, she Cuomo said, said in Florida. 2014. 2014, Cuomo said, his words, <laughs> if you, there's no room in New York State for conservatives. <laughs> and what was his and what was his repercussions? None. And then and Coco says, you're Republican, go to Florida. What's the repercussions? None. What? And I'm going to be heavily political for a moment here. If you like local Republicans, no worries, vote for them. They do well in, in across the state. But in a statewide election, governor, lieutenant governor, senator, um, AG, controller, a Republican hasn't won in this state in 20 years. And the state's getting bluer, not redder. All our people moving to Florida, that's why Florida's a red state now, because of New Yorkers who've moved there. I'm not even joking when I say that. Mm. Florida, you remember, used to be a swing state. Yes. Those days are over. That's because over half a million to a million New Yorkers have moved in there, and then most of them are red. That's what turned Florida red. It was New Yorkers. And I'm not even joking when I say that. Do your own homework if you don't believe me. That's a fact. I believe you. So now it's almost three to one Democrat, Republican. And Republicans will still sit here and go, this is our year. And they're lying to you, and they're stealing your money, and they've already spent $12 million of New York State Republicans' money on a lost campaign already. He's already, what, 15 or 20 points behind? And there's like three three months left. And he'll do what all the rest of them do. He will run, he will lose, and he will go away. He will take your money, say, thank you, suckers, and he'll go away, which is what they always do. Right. And they've been doing it for 20 years. So I don't know why people keep voting. Again, in statewide elections, not lo locally Republicans win all the time. Statewide election, why would you bother? The state is far too blue. So I have to fix this. How do I fix it? Number one, I have to find a new way of paying for education. Right now in New York State, you have to pay for education. Is in, in our Constitution, education is a right in New York State. Okay. And by the way, making something a right doesn't make it good. It just makes it expensive. Exactly. That's all it does. So right now, we drop about $29,000 per kid, the highest in the entire country. And we rank somewhere around 40th out of 51 because they count D.C. when they do the stats. Mm. So 50 states plus D.C. We rank somewhere around 40, 41, 42 in that area. That's how bad we are spending the most. So I'm going to stop us paying for that. Instead... I'm going to start a new fund, a fund called the New York State Social Trust. Mm. This fund is going to be similar to what they do right now in Norway and or Singapore. And what they do, they do is permanent private capital will fund it. How do I know that? They're funding it now. They will fund ours. They'll put money into it. And I mean literally tens, if not hundreds of billions of dollars. Mm. Again, how do I know that? Right now, what they're doing, private and permanent capital, they're buying up real estate. And it's making all the housing prices go up. People right. can't buy houses. Everyone's become a renter because they're putting right. money into it. Why? It's a safe return. You know what's safer? 
a government fund. That's safer. So come to my government fund. You'll get a dividend based upon New York State revenue. You get a dividend every year. Put money in my fund. There are countries now where one of their funds will pay for up to 20% of their entire budget, hmm. which means no taxation because private money is doing it. So now if you're on the left, you want big business to pay more. Done. If you're on the right, you want no new taxes. Done. You got both. They will happily do it. I'm going to do it within two years. We can pay for all schooling from that. If we pay for all schooling, school tax goes away. If school tax go away, the average New Yorker, their property has to be cut in half. Depending on where you live. So all of a sudden now you get a deep property tax cut. What does that mean? You might not move away. If you want to retire, you can retire here. And the pension you you earned, you can spend in New York and not spend in Florida. I would like you to spend your pension in New York and not spend it in Florida. Absolutely. Let me ask you a question on on this um, state sovereign fund you're proposing. So I'm assuming that to get the private capital in there, private permanent capital in there, you would have to entice them, obviously, with a rate of return. Yeah, a dividend. A dividend that's, yep, every year. that's comparable to what they could get in the market because Correct. presumably a, a government debt is more secure, higher rated than, than junk bonds, right? Correct. So, so how, is that, how is that return generated in your view? It's based upon the New York state revenue. Oh, so it's based off the tax revenue to begin with? No, not tax revenue, revenue. Because uh-huh. I'm going to change how we make money. Tell me more. I'm going to change how New York State makes money. I don't want New York just making money off taxation. Mm-hmm. That's why I say revenue. Gotcha. Not, not only taxation, but revenue. What would be an example? Say one example of- I have so re- many of them. I, I haven't even finished the other book. But anyway, I could be in for hours about how to fix New York State. There's just one. Give me one example so our sure. listeners know what would you're talking be about. Lease, leasing naming rights to bridges and tunnels to help fund the MTA, to help fund, like in other words, why in the world do we have a a, a, a Mario Cuomo bridge mm. when we should have an, uh, I don't know, a Pepsi bridge, a Google bridge? Right. They will easily pay $100 million a year. Easily. Why do I, how do I know this? Again, I'm not just saying things. They drop $20 million a year on a stadium they use on the weekends. Right. Exactly. I'm giving you a bridge yeah. that has a 16 million person metro area that at least a million cars cross every day, if not three or four million cross every single day. On top of that, it's mentioned hundreds of times in the traffic reports across this city every day, hundreds of times, and people see it. And when people are doing their movies and TV shows on Hulu, they always show New York State, New York City skyline. Mm. Now your name is product placement in a bunch of uh, new TV shows that are coming up on it. Netflix and such. I, see now, it. Larry, I love that type of thinking because, I, and I'm being honest here, I'm not just trying to uh, blow smoke your way. I love that type of thinking because. You are providing, see, one of the complaints I hear from all my friends about libertarianism, and me especially, they go, John, you're too philosophical. I'm not philosophical at all. No, no, but I'm saying to me, they'll say, you're too philosophical. You're too high-minded. You keep quoting Friedman and and Mises and and, then all these, Adam Smith and all these guys, John Law. How are we going to get people to vote for libertarians? And believe it or not, a lot of the time, my answer is, go look at Larry Sharp's page. Thank you. Go look Thank at some you. of his solutions because I, to, and I'm not, again, I'm, this is why I wanted to talk to you, Larry, because I view you as a, a great candidate to bring ideas of libertarianism yep. and self-sufficiency. The same way I viewed Gary Johnson very positively, quite I honestly. I love Gary Johnson. Because as, gov- as a Republican governor, to stick, whether he did it knowingly or not, 
to libertarian principles, uh, never, never uh, passing uh, an unfunded uh, bill, right? Or, Absolutely, or, or something like that. What was it? How many? How many budgets did he? He vetoed more laws and more bills than all the other forty-nine governors combined. Combined, that was the stat I loved. Out yes. Of him. And his practicality. Every yes. Thursday, truckers could come in and complain about the high clearances and being rerouted. Like to me, that's that's responsive government. Yep. That's saying, is there a look to your he, point? Remember, he came out of the private sector. Yes. He had to keep his customers happy. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And 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 to me, that's what look. Uh, Pendulette says this all the time. Mm -hmm. He says. Will there be times where we need government to provide a solution? Absolutely. That's 100%. what it's there for. Yes. But our first question should always be, is there a way we could do this with less government? 100%. Or freedom? And that's what I like about you, Larry. This is why I always stump for you to anybody who'll listen. Thank I'm, you. I'm not Thank just you. saying that. Thank it's you. because I said, this man may not pass the purity test. And we'll talk about this very soon, in mm -hmm. the, hopefully. You may not pass a lot of these purity tests in the Libertarian Party. I'm being honest. Like the Mises folks may look at you and say, is, is Larry still advocating public education? That's nuts. We don't believe in that as Libertarians, right? But guess what? While I see their intellectual point, tomorrow morning, no New Yorker is going to wake up and say public school's gone. Correct. Yes. 100%. It may take 60 years if we do everything right. It may yes. take 100 years if we do everything right to get to the point where people say, we don't need public schools, you know, yep. like, but I love the fact that you, and that's why I was so adamant and you could saying, give me an example of revenue, right? It, naming rights for these bridges, Mario Cuomo bridge. I didn't vote for Mario Cuomo once in my life. Why should yep. I have to stare at his name every day? Absolutely. Guess what? If I have to stare at Google, uh, uh, the Midtown Google uh, bridge or tunnel, uh, I may not Patreon no, no. if he wants Mario on his bridge, that's fine. Give hey, me 30, give me 30 yeah. million dollars a year. That's all I'm saying. And he can have it. I, I love that. I love that idea. Let him have I it. Love 30 that million dollars a year. You can have yeah. Mario on it. Done. I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> yes. I love it. So, and, okay. But more importantly, once yeah. you do that, you also, I'm not privatizing the bridge. Make sure we're not doing that. Mm. The state and the city still own the bridge. We are leasing the naming rights and front loading the payments. Mm. So if they back out, we get paid up front. We front load the payments, right? If they don't put, provide maintenance on it, we still inspect it. If they don't provide maintenance on it, we can remove the contract, put somebody else in it. We front load the contract, so we're still good. And then why do we require tolls? No tolls. No tolls. Who affect, who's affected most by tolls? The working poor and middle class. The working class, you're right. But yeah. I'm the mean guy. I'm the selfish guy, <laughs> right? I'm the selfish guy, yet my, my, my governor and my mayor right now want to put $23 uh, a toll to congestion fee that only the working poor and middle class will pay. Crazy. But I'm the selfish one for actually eliminating this. That's but crazy. But I add one more piece. You want more? Give me one more. Yeah. Why aren't we? Why aren't we creating freight lines that come into the city for the MTA hmm. at night? Only every other train runs anyway. So instead, make every other train be a freight a freight train coming in. Hmm. Now we bring freight into the city. You bring freight into the city that way. They'll rebuild the entire system for that. Hmm. You tell me Amazon wouldn't rebuild the system for that? Of course, it'll cost oh. them a couple of billion dollars. Their marketing budget is ten billion dollars. I was going just to, marketing. They would easily fix it for us. I was going to say, I think many people don't realize what a lot of these big companies marketing. I, I was a marketer. I worked in uh, you know. Madison Avenue for years. Like we used to. I used when I first 
transition from Wall Street to to, to uh, Madison Avenue, mm-hmm. one of the things that struck me because I was never a marketer uh, was these budgets for things yes. like you know if you if you look at Ford right and because uh, I my first consultancy was with Ford I'm not going to release the exact number but I will say. <laughs> That their marketing budget began with a B. Of course. <laughs> right? Yes. hundred percent. And you're saying, hey, why don't would you be interested in dropping dropping 30 mil to have the Ford uh, uh Queensboro Bridge? Yes. That is an afterthought 100%. to a company like Ford. Yes. But to and your imagine po- we got 12, we got 12 to 15 bridges we could do that to. Yeah. But to your point, yes. that afterthought on the part of these corporations, which by the way statists hate with a passion right um those afterthoughts to those companies will mean to your point the working class yes no longer have to pay tolls correct and larry tell me why isn't this gaining traction if i'm a blue co- look if I'm, I'm happy an, to tell you why if i'm an old school new yorker though the old image of the old democrat mm-hmm. like if, if that you see in the 70s movies or the yep. 80s movies right the union guy yep uh the guy the lunch pail guys with the hard hats right i would think that the opportunity for them to say wait i can i can go to the bronx to see the yankees and i don't have to pay the toll from queens correct are you kidding me yes what am i vote for that yes i so, agree with you so why aren't they larry well first off because no one wants to talk to me so I don't get out. I, you don't see me on ABC. You don't see me on CNN. You don't see me on Fox News. You don't see me on MSNBC. Is, is that because now that's a great question? I will I'm, tell you why. Why is I, that? I'll give you both of those. But you asked a lot of questions. I'll give you why. The yeah. reason why I'm not on those is I don't buy ads. Mm. Right. The Democratic Party and Republican Party buys tons of ads, so they put their people on. Mm. If I had enough money to buy ads, I literally asked the the the, the newspapers and such, "Why aren't you covering me?" This is when I was running in 2018, and they said, "Oh, you don't buy ads." Literally, they didn't even think they would straight buy ads will cover you. Literally, it's pay to play. Well, I can't raise $12 million. So how am I going to be able to drop $50,000 on the ad campaign so I can get covered? I can't. They weren't covering me in polls. So we call the polling company. Mm. I'm a legal candidate. Why aren't you covering the polls? They said it. You don't buy polls. Mm. I said, how much to poll? $40,000. It's pay to play. That's the reason why I'm not, people aren't hearing me because I don't have enough cash. I wish cash wasn't king, but all the people who say they hate money and profit's bad, all their people are dropping millions of dollars from big business to do exactly what I just said. And I, I said that publicly. Everyone knows that. Mm. They won't even fight it. Like if you mm. if you right now called up a polling company, they would tell you that. Yeah. And they're, not, they're like, yeah, you got money? I'll put you in a poll. Mm. No worries. That's literally how it works. But the average person doesn't know that. That's piece number one. The second piece, why aren't people doing this? Meaning government's doing it. Because if you actually lease naming rights out to a bridge, I don't control the jobs. The company does. The the, the governor and the mayor, they want to control jobs so they can hand them out to cronies to get Mm. lots of money. Like the toll booth takers. Correct. They want to be able to hand out jobs, right, to their friends and their cronies and all their – they do that. That's how they make money. So you have to create commissions and do things like that. Cuomo, before he left, made $800,000 on people who uh, he put on commissions. Now, that's public knowledge. That's not illegal. And my view is unethical, mm. but it's not illegal at all. He can do it, and he did it. What he did was legal. I hate it, and I wish it wasn't legal. When you say he, when you say he made 800 grand, do you mean in political contributions correct, or, correct, or somehow yes. to his pocket? No, no, no. To, to, so, uh, in other words, John, I say, John, you're my friend. That's this new commission right. on, you know, 
bridge construction and you happen to run a bridge construction company, gotcha. I'll, I'll put you on the commission and you give me a check $40,000 into my campaign. Mm. While that is totally unethical, it is absolutely illegal. Gotcha. And he got over $800,000 from people who are doing that. And that goes to his campaign. He'll spend it however he wants. I don't know. He'll put it in his pocket. I don't know. Do whatever he wants to do. Right, right, do. right. So anyway, it keeps him in business. Hmm. So, and that again, I think unethical, totally illegal. Gotcha. So, so that's why they don't do it, if that makes any sense. Let me go one step further, if I could. The freight train idea. You do the freight train in, they'll rebuild the entire system to support the freight trains. So I get a brand new MTA, no taxpayer paying a dollar. And now because freight's coming in, less trucks in the city, less wear and tear, less civilian deaths, less pedestrian deaths, less bicyclist deaths, less trucks in the city, less smog in the city, less trucks in the city. But I'm the selfish guy. But I don't care about the environment. It's crazy. I gave you an I gave you an actual plan to get you cheap, effective metro, cheap bridges for cars and working poor, and better environment for New York City. But I'm the bad guy. It's mind-boggling because yes. <clears throat> excuse me. It's not, in my opinion, that you're coming off like some wacky conspiracy theorist. Not at all. It's not like you're saying like hey, uh, you know, there's these aliens that are going to come down from space because I can communicate with them and they're going to solve our problems. So vote yep. for me. You're that's, not doing any of that. That's 2026. That's not that. <laughs> that's 2026. <laughs> exactly, yes. Well, like I'm listening to you right now as I have in the past. And I'm really happy that you're throwing out these examples that are concrete for people. Because yep. a lot of times people say, ah, he's talking a good game, but what can he really do if he got elected? And here you are, you're saying, <clears throat> step one, I'm selling yep. naming rights. Step, step two, I'm bringing freight in over the MTA because we don't utilize 100% of those tracks 100% of the time. Yep. Uh, I'm assuming you'll have other things to do as well. Hey, of I'm going to cut down the income. I'm going to get rid of the New York City income tax. People don't realize around the country. Not only does New York State have an income tax, if you live within the five boroughs of New York City, yep. you pay an additional income tax, whether yep. you earn the money or not within yep. the borders of New York City. So for people who think that the rich aren't getting taxed in New York or the so-called rich, um, keep also in mind what is the average uh, standard of living, say, in the middle of the country. Yes. It's nowhere near. So I think, uh, and this may be a little outdated, but just the, the number should be relatively the same. I remember looking this up. A standard living in Kansas City for a typical family might be $55,000 a year. In New York, it was 110. It was literally half. Yeah. And pe when people say things like, oh, well, the, the wealthy, this and that in New York, there's a cost to living in New York. Yes, there is. And the more you tax, for, for example, when you talk about these horrible Wall Streeters, and again, I'm not defending Republicans, that's the last thing I want to do. But when you're talking about Wall Streeters, the so-called, uh, you know, greedy people, what percentage of the income, uh, state income comes from Wall Street? Huge chunk. Isn't it 70%? I think it's 50. 50? Okay. I think it's Let, 50. Think of it as 50. Let's give you 50. I think it's 50. 50% 50 coming from Wall Street. Ah, but hold on. But no, just recently it was more. Maybe that's where your numbers come yeah, from. Yeah. Just because the just, there were massive bonuses last year that actually saved us. So maybe last year was 70, but it yeah. usually is around 50, if not mistaken. Oh, fair enough. And you're demonizing these people. Yep. You are, if you're a Democrat in New York right now, if you're a liberal in New York, you are actively trying to drive those people out of your tax base. Yep. And it's working. And They're it's leaving. working. That's the sad part. It's yes. working. 
It's working for Florida and Texas. Yeah. Because they've opened up their arms and said, come down here. Absolutely. Telecommuting, you don't have to be on Wall Street to be working with Wall Street. I don't Street. know if you heard Goldman Sachs considered moving to Miami mm. and the New York Stock Exchange considered moving to Austin. Cuomo, Cuomo was going to do a transaction tax. And the second he floated that idea, Goldman Sachs said, you know what, maybe I'll move to Miami. The New York Stock Exchange said, maybe I'll move to Austin. He went, I was kidding, guys. Jokes. I got jokes. We're good. Don't worry. I'm kidding. That's it, what happened. It, it, yes, it is that's the, how bad it is. Because he knew the, if those two leave, yeah. we're in trouble. It's the craziest thing on the planet. So All anyway, right. I, I kept yapping. Let me keep going if I could. Yeah, right. please. So, so that, that was that part from New York City. But let me go back to the school piece I was talking about. Because mm. we were, this originally started on schools. It started out in education. It did. But it's all connected. There's a yes, lot of changes is. we got to make in the, in the state. The state's Agreed. broken. Agreed. So now once you do that, now I have the trust, which within two years can pay for schooling, and within four years can end the state income tax, mm. which will give every New Yorker a raise without having anyone have to pay anymore. Exactly. Right, immediately. So again, maybe you'll stay in New York and spend your pension here. Note that common theme. Love I would it. like you to spend your pension in New York and not in Florida. And we're sending people to Florida for no reason. Spend right. it here. But I got to give you a I'm not mad at you for going to Florida. It's our fault as a state for not making it conducive for you to stay. Yes. So um, as a business guy, I don't blame my competition for being better than me. I become a better you know, comp competitor. So I'm going to compete more for your business. And you're going to stay in my state if I do this right. So now for the kids. That's all for the adults. Now for the kids. We're going to send $18,000 per kid to every district where the kid is in that district. Mm. That's the cash that comes from the state from the state trust fund directly to them. Done. What does that mean? No more federal guidelines are required. Because the only reason why the government calls, uh, deals with us is because of money. Mm. We get about $6 billion from the government, from this federal government. I don't want that money anymore. Keep it. So I don't care about your guidelines. doesn't matter to me. Good. Not just that. No more state guidelines required, just basic state guidelines, but nothing specific. Like I don't have to, right now, if you actually take control of your local school district, you will be able to make very little change. Cause the state literally says, do as we say, or we won't pay you. Right. Well, this comes from the trust now. It's a separate company. Not the, it's not the government. So you can pay it away. And I don't care where your kids come from. You want to cross over, this school goes there. I don't care up to you. You want to get kids from other districts? Bust them in, I don't care. There's your $18,000, enjoy, do what you want. I'm not yeah. worried about that. So now localized control is going to be better for the school systems. But I'm still not done. $18,000, or if you want to, a $6,000 credit if you want to either homeschool or private school your, your kid. Hmm. So now you can create more private schools, homeschool if you want to. Now the school system has to compete against private schools and homeschools. Either they'll get better or they'll go away. I don't care, but either way it's there. Now, the reason why it's only 6000 is because if you're in the district, your kid should be able to use the facilities. So you decide you want to homeschool your kid. You can if you want to. I homeschool my daughter. If you homeschool, you can. But you should be able to go to the library or join the football team or join the math club right. or whatever, right? You're paying taxes for it, right? In theory, right? You're a New Yorker. So it's there. Now, if you don't want to use that for your private school, you don't have to. So you can go to a private school but still be on the district's high school's football team if you want to. Whatever. You can do it and you'll see that everything will begin to shift. Initially, there'll be almost no change, but you will see as, as early adopters are going to change things. But the most important piece here of all of that is you will lose literally thousands of administrators. And in New York State, that is what's killing our education system, the thousand administrators. The average teacher in New York State makes about 70K a year, give or take. 
which is not bad. It's a living wage. It's not bad. I mean, they could make more. I'd like to make more, but it's not like Kansas where they're starving. Mm-hmm. So you make a living wage, which is nice, but administrators make $150,000, $200,000 a year. Some make three or $400,000 a year in our state, and there are districts where there are more administrators than teachers. Mm-hmm. So yeah. why are they there? To support state mandates and federal mandates. Well, those are now gone. You can fire all of them if you want to. You can keep what happened when you and I were kids. You had a principal and a couple vice principals and some office staff. That's all you had. I didn't even have that. (laughs) Well, you probably had someone who worked in the office, right? It was literally a principal and a secretary. That was it. There we go. There we go. So you had someone in the office and a principal. There we go. (laughs) Right. When I I was a kid, you had a principal, like two vice principals. I don't remember. Something like that. And a couple people worked in the office, like two or three, whatever it was. That's what I agree. Your point is there's way too many layers of administration. And you you keep hearing about the infamous teacher rubber rooms and and things like that. And And all that goes away because none of that's required anymore. But there's Mm. a more important piece. Right now, how the system works, and people don't know this. If you don't spend your money, you lose it. Mm. So you have to spend the money, right? So literally at the end of the year, they just stop buying stuff. I'm not joking. Now, I remember I was in the Marine Corps. We had this in the Marine Corps too. It's, it's a common government practice. It's dumb. It's the yeah. dumbest thing we do, but it is. The, the fiscal year ends in October, right? For the federal government, for the federal government. So what are we doing around that time? Well, all the Marines are outside firing off all our rounds. <laughs> right. I'm not joking. We're all going to rifle ranges, firing weird. off all machine gun rounds, <laughs> getting rid of everything so we can buy new ones. I remember working in an armory, and this is back in the 80s, and now they have the cool um, the, the, the cool uh, infrared goggles just pop down. Mm. Back then, they didn't. You had to actually put the goggles on. It wasn't connected. So we take them off. We had to break them. Physically, we, we used to have – we had an axe, and we'd break them. Why? Because <laughs> you got a budget that you got to fill. So we're literally breaking good equipment. And and for people who think that's crazy, it is crazy. Yes. But the reason it's done is because, and it's not, to be fair, it's not just government. A lot of corporations work this way when they talk to their departments, right? Which is if you have a budget and you you don't spend it all, but get your job done, you would think that would be a plus. It's not. Correct. It's not. Because then the next year, whoever's in charge of budget says, oh, uh, Larry's department got by with only 80% of his budget. We're going to reduce his budget by 20%. Yep. So- so what Instead I'm saying, of, though, is it, the districts now have control. Right. If you don't spend your money, keep it and save it. Exactly. There and then go. build a new football field when your district thinks you should build a new football field, not because I have a buddy who's in construction. So now I do a grant from the state so I can give my buddy a, a deal so he can build a new football field, even though you don't need a new football field, that, that which happens all the time. That SCA is like it's run like the mob in my. There opinion. we go. It's it's just so you see like how I break it without breaking it, you, Larry. I, you know, I I I wish we had seven eight hours to talk because you are such an interesting fellow and you have tremendous ideas that I think are practical. They're not theoretical. They're practical, right. and I love. It. Let me shift a little bit though. Right now, Please. let's. I want to shift from the New York uh, scene to the national scene Uh-oh. and talk about the you national. Know, you know, I'm scene. not running nationally, right? I was going to ask you, that was going to be my first question. Are you going to run perhaps again in 2024 for the national, any national LP post? I am 100% not running for, for president unless something insane happens. Um, When I run, like right now I'm running, I'm not working. Hmm. So I will be in debt when this is over. Right. Cause I I'm paying right. my bills with debt right now. Right. So I'm going to, I'm going to be in debt when this is over. I have to spend time make, making money. So I didn't run in 2020 uh, in 2020, 2018. 
you know, knocked me out. So I've got to make my money back. Remember, I'm the only one not getting a paycheck. Everybody else who runs is a government employee. They all get paychecks. They, you right. pay them to run. Me, I just get hammered. Crazy, right. So yeah, that's how the system works. So, um, so I'm just getting hammered. So the odds of me running for something big in 2024, slim, um, the, things would change tremendously. Or I would consider a VP slot again. Mm. The VP slot is a good support slot. Um, most people who run, sadly, it's a vanity issue. This one be super cool. I already have my name on a show. I'm good. <laughs> I don't require that. But would I be a support structure for somebody else to run? I'd consider being a VP, but that's about it. Otherwise, no. Um, okay. Maybe 2026, I might do governor again. Who knows? I would consider that. Um, well, I'm, I'm going to look would. forward to anything you do, quite honestly. Thank but you. Let me, let me throw the, some quick questions at you. Uh, within the LP, controversy recently. Lots. Uh, lots of lots. I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to underplay it a little bit. Uh, the old joke, you get 10 libertarians in a room, all 10 will accuse each other of not being true libertarians, right? So uh, for those that may not be familiar, someone like myself, I consider myself a minarchist, which is someone who believes in liberty and a tiny government, not anarchy, which means no government. Uh, you have anarcho-capitalists, you have sure. classic liberals, you have uh, agorists, you have a whole bunch of things sure. that fall under the big umbrella of libertarianism. Um, my sense in talking to you, Larry, is that you're probably either a minarchist or a classical liberal. I would I would think you would consider yourself one of those two. We live in New York. We're by default minarchists. We hope to be, at least. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it's the best we're going to get. Exactly. Yeah. Now. The, the Libertarian Party, recently the leadership, was taken over by the Mises caucus. Yeah. Now, now these guys, philosophically, I've got no problem with them. Sure. Zero. And some guys in the Mises caucus, like probably the most famous one running around right now might be Dave Smith, the, uh, sure. the stand-up comedian, who, by the way, I um, I used to watch his stand-up with the Legion of Skanks in That's the right. yep. City. Absolutely. My studio was right around the corner, as a matter of fact. Um, uh, loved his stand-up. Uh, but it's not just a goof run or a goof involvement for Dave. He's a deep thinker. He knows his stuff. He's read his libertarian philosophy. No, he's a libertarian. There's no doubt. No doubt. No doubt he's libertarian. 100%. No, so, whatever you might think of him, he's definitely libertarian. Right. And he, he's probably one of the most prominent Mises Caucus guys that most people would, I would agree. Probably, yeah. probably the most. Yeah. Now, in terms of the Mises Caucus, recently, um, and they're, they've also taken over several of the state parties, right? Sure. So uh, they've got a more, I'm trying to think of the right word, aggressive messaging yep. uh, technique than, say, the old guard at the Libertarian Party. So they're Very much true. more aggressive with their tweets. Yeah. Uh, the tweet of Meghan McCain uh, crying over her father's casket, for example, sure. with the caption, Happy Holidays. Yep. And then doubling down at when people kind of said, hey, you know, that really doesn't help further our cause. They double down by saying we will call out war pigs every time we see a war pig, et cetera, et cetera. So um, let me ask you your opinion. Do you feel that is the right or a right direction for the National Party to go in? Not necessarily the um, philosophical bent of Mises, but- No, no, no. I'm going to tell you something that's gonna, that may make you unhappy. Hmm. Um, I don't care. You don't care at all? They, the, the, the National Party has been doing stupid stuff for 50 years. Hmm. It's never helped. It's always hurt. It goes out of its way to do things that it just tries to do right. And it shouldn't. What the National Party should do is about one thing only, ballot access, nothing else. Hmm. It shouldn't be messaging. It shouldn't be doing anything. Does the DNC mes message? Does the RNC message? No, they let their candidates message, hmm. right? 
they, they, all they do is collect money and give to candidates. That's what the RNC and DNC does. Do you even know who the DNC chair is? I forgot. Thank you. Do you even know who the RNC chair is? Uh, I did at one point. Thank you, but you don't. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. Nobody knows now because it's also well, it's also super polarized right now, right? And so who cares? Right, right. You're focused on the candidates now. That's yeah. what I want to do. Yeah. I don't care. I remember um, in 2017, uh, the VP said something like, um, "All veterans are murderers and should be charged appropriately." That was 2017. Mm. That wasn't helpful either. No, it wasn't. And so what? What am I going to do? You know, I said it when I did in a Reason Magazine uh, article, and I'll say it again. The Libertarian Party is a dumpster fire on wheels. Mm. Without question. However, without it, we're walking. And it is the only chance for change in this country. We are the third largest party in the nation. We're the only one who's running candidates in every state. No other party's doing that except Republicans, Democrats. Mm. We're the only ones with any type of infrastructure whatsoever. Most have none. We have some infrastructure, which is still broken and battered, but we have some. And we have an actual principle, which most have none. Right. It is by no means, it's a disaster. And the only thing we got without it is nothing else. No other party has had 50 state ballot access for the presidential candidate two years in a row. Never happened. Mm. Is it salvageable, Larry? Of course it is. It was, it's, it's always salvageable. Do you know why? Everyone who's angry will have no other place to go. They'll come mm. back to us. They will. Two years from now, they'll come back. Three years from now, I've, I've watched people leave and say, I'm never coming back. Three years later, they're back because okay. there's no other place to go. And they all start new parties <laughs> right, and they're all right, going right. to start new parties. They're all going to get ballot access. I hear it all the time. And they're all going to come back because I, there's no other place to go. I wish this was not the world we live in. Right. Right. I'm, I'm not saying I'm happy about this. I'm not. I wish we could have multiple parties and easier ballot access. We could have other parties doing other things. Mm -hmm. Maybe we could have a minarchist party. That might not be a bad idea, right? Maybe we could do that. Mm -hmm. That is not the world we live in. Right. We are lucky that we even get a libertarian party because most parties, and if you know this, like the Green Party, got like 25 out of 50 states. Mm. Constitution Party got like 20. Yeah. It yeah. is virtually impossible to be able to get on the ballot in most states. Yeah. Only libertarian party can do it. Other, it can't. In other words, you can't vote for somebody if you don't see them and no one else gets any press. At least I got some press, right? I'm an independent guy. I got on Joe Rogan. I got on Dave Rubin. I got on Glenn Beck. So I was able to get on these shows. The other guys can't even get on those shows. It's incredible, isn't it? That they can't even get on those shows. Yeah. You'd figure social media. See, my great hope for the libertarians was. I got shadow banned the second I was against lockdowns. Crazy. I was getting 15 to 30,000 views on all my shows. Then I said, lockdowns are a bad idea. 3,000 overnight. Overnight, 3,000 mm. overnight. And I'm still shadow banned. The only place I grow now is Twitter. Hmm. Every other place I get shadow banned. Crazy. Yes. I'm Does sorry. I mean, interrupt you. No, no, no. That's uh, that's a great point because I was going to say I, I, w I had hope that with the advent of social media, libertarians could build their own networks and get their messaging out and their philosophy out. Like I, I've yet to find someone when I say, do me a favor, watch this clip of Milton Friedman from 1979 debating um, Phil Donahue on his own ah, show. Right. One of the classics. And if you can walk away from that and say, there's nothing that man said that I that I agree with. I would say we just have different concepts of liberty. <laughs> right, 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 right. But if you walk right. away from that saying, you know what? Milton Friedman made a lot of sense to me. Guess what? The, the overwhelming majority of libertarians would probably cite Milton Friedman somewhere among their inspiration, right? Sure. So 
so if you so to me, why isn't it that we haven't built a network of Milton Friedman clips of I think we are right we're trying. We're trying. I think we are. It's just taking time because we don't get to explode like the others do. Hmm. So it's taking more time for us. To, but we are slowly. I go on podcasts all the time for that reason. Hmm. Right. I know this is our way. And I go on. Um, I go on podcasts. If you if you want to talk to me. Yes, let's do this. Build our network out. Let's all grow. I will share things. I'll move around to the best of my ability. I keep doing it. So I think we eventually we have to. It is going to happen. We have to have some kind of system that's going to work for us. Otherwise, we're finished. Meaning the nation is finished. Well, the, yeah, the nation is yes. going down that slope very quickly. Correct. And, and you know, and uh, for those of you that might think Larry or even myself to some great lesser extent, uh, we're not American because we're bucking the system. Sorry, we view ourselves as as extremely American. Because Always remember, all of our heroes are outlaws. Yes. All of them. People forget G that. <laughs> George Washington, Gandhi, MLK. These are all criminals. Mm. These are all outlaws. Mm. No matter where your head is, Robin Hood, right? Everyone you yeah. think, they're all outlaws, right? Yep. The Rebel Alliance in Star Wars, they're all outlaws, <laughs> right? right? Every All the heroes that we have, they're all outlaws. Yeah. So maybe we're a bit more heroic than you might think. Last question on the on libertarian politically, Larry. Sure. Do you feel the Libertarian Party is inclusive enough? One of the things I consider or try to consider mm -hmm. is are we reaching the marginalized folks in terms of whether they're um, uh, African-Americans, uh, Asians, females? Now, I have to admit, I have seen an uptick of female libertarians on social yep. media. Now, whether they're whether they're conflating us with conservatives or Trump support, I don't know. But at least right now, I've noticed several who are at least identifying as libertarians, getting out there, using whatever social media uh, followings they have. Yep. So that's a positive to me. But do you feel we're bringing in enough uh, minority groups, Latinos, Black are, Americans? Are we, are we doing enough? We are. We have been and still are bad at that. Mm. It's not our skill set. We're bad at it. Mm. We're good at debating. Mm. We're not good at, at having conversations that draw people in. It's a skill set we're not good at. We've got to be better at it. I try my best as you see to do it. I go out of my way to try. I'm hoping my example is a good example and I want others to follow me, but we're not good at it. You're guilty as charged. We're mm. not good at it. But, but as an advantage, many of us at least know it's true. So the first step to facing a problem is admitting you have one. Right. So I think that most libertarians are like, yeah, we do suck at this. We're at that level. We're <laughs> okay. not at the level of actually fixing it yet. Mm -hmm. But I do think we're trying. I think you do see more people like Maj Ture out of, out of, out of Philadelphia. So you do see us, we are moving, right? You look at Hannah Cox. Mm. Um, so, you, you know, we are moving, mm. but not great. I think you're right. It, we, and the problem is we have so many failures. The system is constantly beating us up. It's hard to stay motivated mm. when you keep failing. Yeah, it, it's it, hard. It, it is. Let me ask you this though, because I, I and I'm, I'm hoping, uh, I'm not trying to be patronizing. I'm really trying to understand and 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 striving for honesty here, which is, does the libertarian message necessarily resonate with minority groups in this country? Yes. Yes. You like you didn't even hesitate, Larry. Two times. You were like yes. 100%. Two yeah. times. Yeah. One is the immigrant community, and mm. one is a non-immigrant community. Mm. Immigrant community is insanely entrepreneurial. Mm, yes. Always. Always has been very entrepreneurial compared to American born. 
right? Relative, not every, obviously not every every immigrant sure. is an entrepreneur, yeah, yeah, yeah. but percentage far more entrepreneurship in immigrants. The Libertarian Party is the only party that supports entrepreneurship. Not even close. Hmm. Only ones. The other ones only support systems and big business. So yes, when I start talking about, when I go around New York State, I'm always in individually owned places. You will see me. Individual restaurant. Yes. Other day, I was in a specific uh, hardware store owned by a specific guy, right? I go to individual places. They eat it up. They love it. They love someone who cares about the little guy. I go on farms, which are basically entrepreneurs. I'll be in an individual family farm. Do that all the time. So yes, for the immigrant class, number one. Now for the non-immigrant class. Of course, the war on drugs has attacked minorities far worse than any other group. Don't get me wrong. White guys get beat up on the war on drugs too. I'm not trying to take away the white guys. But black and Hispanics, far worse. Yes. So when we say, when, I, when my plan for cannabis is to regulate cannabis like a plant. So my, my I play the Obama game. You like your dealer, keep your dealer, <laughs> right? Just put that dealer out of the black market so there's no violence. Right. Put them in the regular market, have them pay their taxes like anybody else, and sell you weed. You're already selling weed. <laughs> but now you got to keep a gun or a bat on you because now you got to go to violence in case something happens. Right. But make it legal. You can call the cops when I steals your weed. You can mm. buy insurance on your weed. <laughs> I'm serious, right? Open right? the store. I, I, sell your weed. I'm chuckling because what you're saying is so simple. Yes. And it's so obvious. Yes. But to actually hear someone who's running for office, and by the way, mad props to you for doing this. Thank you. Buy insurance on your weed. Yes. We have other types of business insurance. 100%. I, can, I buy insurance if the equipment we're recording this on busts. I have insurance that says, oh, we're going to pay you for your equipment. We're going to pay you for the lost interview with Mr. Shark, right? I pay for that. Yes. I choose to pay for that. Why wouldn't a weed dealer say, I want to buy insurance against me getting ripped off? Yes. <laughs> it's that, or you got to carry a gun or a bat around. Hey, buddy, insurance. Don't carry the gun. It's good. Amazing, amazing, yes. amazing way to think of that, Larry. Listen, I don't want to get your wife mad at us because I'm pushing up against our limit that I had scheduled. So let me end this on what I always call silly questions. I always okay. like to ask my guests these rapid fire questions. Give me your honest answers. Who was your biggest inspiration in life? Wow. Um, living or dead, it doesn't matter. Any way you want to answer it. Miyamoto Musashi. Miyamoto Musashi uh, wrote the Book of Five Rings. He was the greatest swordsman of Japan in the 16th century, 15th century, one of the two, mm. I think 16th century. And he speaks about the idea of living your life as if you're already dead and understanding that what matters is your legacy. Mm. That's what you're working for. Every day you're working on your legacy because you're already dead. Mm. That's all you have to worry about if you do that. To focus on fighting with your life, you use your large sword in your right hand, your small sword in your left hand because you always went with offense. Mm. Offense is the key. When you're fighting multiple people, just hit one or two people, the rest will run. Remember, mm. most people won't stand to fight. Most will run. Hit key people and hold your ground. The rest will run. That's how you defeat a large army. He discussed all those things. Mm. Uh, his book is amazing. It's I think differently about it. So Miyamoto Masashi. Thank you. And I learned something. I had never heard of Mr. Uh, pronounce his name again. Miyamoto. Miyamoto. Musashi. Musashi. He wrote a book called The Book of Five Rings, which is actually a book on, on sword fighting, believe it or not. Mm. But it talks about his life thought process. Fantastic. I learned something today. Um, your favorite performer in any field or genre? Could be an actor, a singer, an artist, anything. Um, I'll give you two very 
weird ones. Fair enough. Um, and they're similar in one way. Um, Ice Cube and Ricky Gervais. Mm, that's an eclectic uh, pairing. Correct. Here. And the yeah. reason why I say it is they are people who can cross over, mm. retain control of the narrative, still be who they are, and still make money in the system. Mm. Ice Cube is still Ice Cube. He's still a uh, uh, he's still a he's still a hardcore rapper out of you know Compton. Mm. But he was able to do like Daddy, are we there yet? Movies, <laughs> right, and that right. kind of stuff. He's able to move over, and he still is himself. But he still is now his sons in movies. Mm. He's he's an actor. He's a producer. He does all Looks that, just like his father too. Correct, and yeah. and Ricky Gervais, who was a stand-up comedian, who also made The Office, who was able to be who he is. Yeah, but still do stand-up comedy, still be that guy, but cross over and do all the things that I wish, in my view, I see both of them in a very different way, but as Renaissance men who are able to keep what they who they are and still make money in the system yep. and still help others and cross over. And, oh, it's movies now? Oh, it's, 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 it's stand-up now? Oh, it's music now? Okay, I can do all the things. I got to get behind the scenes yep. and produce things. Yeah, Ricky Gervais produced The Office. Ice Cube produced movies. So, you know, those two. Fantastic choices. They did it their ways. Uh, favorite Correct. sport? Favorite sport? Used to be, I've sh I've shifted. Okay. Used to be baseball. I grew mm. up at Yankee Stadium. I love, uh, by the way, I can still throw a strike. Okay. I'm in my 50s. <laughs> and I just threw, when I threw the first, I threw the first pitch of the Brooklyn Cyclones this year. Oh. And a couple of years ago, the first pitch for the Utica Blue Sox in Utica. There you go. Both times I threw a strike. And it's documented, by the way. It's in video. <laughs> so I may be in my 50s, but I can still throw a strike. Huh. Um, so it used to be baseball. I think that was my – I grew up right outside the Yankee Stadium. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure if that's true now. Um, it's a tough one now. I still like baseball. I also used to like hockey a lot as a teenager. Because when the teenagers was the early 80s, the, the, the Islanders, Islanders were great. Yeah. They were amazing. So I was a big Islander fan back in the day. Okay. Now, mm, not so much. But anyway, they were great. Um, but I played high school football. Okay. And so I like, I, I still like football. I'm a Giants fan. And I was a basketball coach for my daughter when she was younger. So I like basketball too. So it's, that's one of the hardest ones for me to answer. Okay. It's harder than the other ones. <laughs> Fair enough. I still think I like baseball though. I think that was my first love. Yeah, I, I think baseball was my, I mean, I liked the sports. Yeah. But I think baseball was my first baseball love. Baseball and a Yankee fan. Yes. Uh, I grew up a Mets fan, even though I grew up in the Bronx. I was a Mets fan. I was a big Tom Seaver fan. Oh, Tom to, Seaver was amazing. Yeah. And I have to, I have to admit to being a Giants fan in football. So mm -hmm. I, I, I'm kind of half with you on that one. Yeah. All right. Um, listen, you're a New Yorker. So two questions I got to ask you. Best pizza slice in New York. They're not there anymore. Ah, They're so gone. You're, you're going really old school. Paula's Pizza on 161st Street in the Bronx. Her father came right from Italy. Mm. It was Joe's Pizza, Joseph. He left it to her. And then I guess she sold off and it's a subway now. Oh, my. so 161st of what, Grand Concourse? No, Walton Avenue. Walton Avenue. Okay. I, I In the Bronx, for me, it was Pugsley's Pizza. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> they, okay. So if you've heard of it, I'm not too far away. No, 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 no. I yeah. know. Yes. Absolutely. All right. And yes. uh, the best bagel in New York. 
I know what when I say New York, I'm being redundant because everyone knows there's no real pizza or bagels outside of New York. So but I'm, I'm going to gamble, though. There's, a, there's some good bagels on Long Island. Really? Where? Give me I'm a... torn. I'm just saying. I've been to Long <laughs> You're also I've a good had, politician, Larry. You don't, want to, some, you don't want no, no, to offend no, just, anybody. No, no, no. Look, I said the Bronx. I said that. Yep. But I'm just being honest. When it comes to bagels, I've had some good bagels out. Generally speaking, the deeper the Jewish neighborhood is, mm. the better the bagel is. There you go. Generally speaking. Yeah. That's not a 100% rule, but it's a good yeah. 70, 80% rule. And most of don't know, but the South Bronx in the 50s was heavily Jewish. Yes. I learned how to play chess. <laughs> Old Jewish men in the 70s in the park. There you go. Because the old Jewish men hadn't left yet, the senior right. citizens, and they would be in the park during the day, and they teach me. They taught me how to play, ch play chess in the park. So, um, a lot of people, um, a lot of people say Brooklyn bagels might be the best. I'm, I don't know if I can answer. That's a tough one. I like Brooklyn. I, mm. <laughs> I've had bagels out in Carl Place in Nassau County mm. that I thought were uh, amazing. I've actually okay. forgotten the name of the place. I, 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 yeah. I have to tell you, I was pleasantly surprised when we moved to here to Suffolk County from Queens a couple yep. of years ago, right before the pandemic. First thing I said is I got to scour the place for a good bagel joint, if there is one. And there and was one, I'm sure. I got lucky. There was one yes. about, about a five-minute drive away. Yep. Uh, I'll toss them a plug, Town Bagels, excellent bagels. I wasn't oh, joking. Long Island yeah. has good bagels. I think it's the exodus from the city. There might be is a lot of bagel okay. guys coming out, but but you're right. There might be some out here. Okay. Yeah, Long Island has some good bagels. I didn't say that about <laughs> upstate New York. I didn't say that. Okay. I'm not trying to, I'm just being forward. I, Long Island has some good bagels. There, there you go. Okay. Last question. When it comes to things, New York, would you rather go for a Starbucks grande, any type or New York regular from a diner? Not even close. New York regular from diner. Not even close. God bless you, Larry Sharp. You're a man after my own heart. You answered everything correctly. In my <laughs> there we go. Good. Glad. Well, listen, everyone. Uh, Larry, before we go, tell us about your podcast. Where can people find out more about you and more about your programs? Please tell us. Larry Sharp. That's sharp with an E and the E stands for exciting and electable. Uh, anything Larry Sharp is Google Larry Sharp. I was on Joe Rogan, Glenn Beck, Allison Moreau, uh, Tim Cast, all the things. I've been to all the mm. things. Google Larry Sharp. If you want to see my show, it's the sharp way. It's most nights now, not as much about 7 p.m. It's a live show. I sometimes have guests. I usually don't. I just rant usually mm -hmm. uh, if you want to see that. And of course, I'm on all the social, all the things. I'm on TikTok. I'm on YouTube. I'm on Twitter, uh, Facebook, everything. Larry Sharp is the answer. And and what's your site if people want to learn about your gubernatorial campaign? LarrySharp.com. There you go. I don't want you to miss your plug. I want there you to get go. your plug. Absolutely. All right, everyone. This has been an amazing conversation with Mr. Larry Sharp running for governor of New York on the Libertarian Party ticket in 2022. Uh, uh, everyone, please support Larry Sharp, especially if you're in New York. He's a, he's a, I'm sure it came through in the interview today. He's a great man. He's an affable man. He's a nice guy. Everything any other libertarian has ever told me who's run across Mr. Sharp has said he's the nicest person on the planet. I have no reason to doubt that. And I'm sure after this interview, neither do you. So until next time, when we'll have another interesting guest, this has been Big John. Join us next time. Peace out, everybody.